Today's scripture comes from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 6, and Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And Philippians 2, 19 to 22. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to see to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. We are in um, part eight of our series on the on this vision of what our church is going to be about was it part nine sorry part nine um, three more we have three more and um, let me ask our brother to put our our, our vision and values up there um, that's our vision new life in Christ that's both experiencing it tasting it receiving new life in Christ and then proclaiming it offering new life in Christ for whom well well this our city but our city is not just an American city. It's the nations come into our city. That's our vision. New life in Christ for the nations of Silicon Valley. You know, you, do, you, do you know literally in this room there are multiple nations? <laughs> do you know that? <laughs> literally right here in this room, there's multiple nations. Um, and these are our values. Uh, the way, uh, the, the, the values that we're just going to continuously like live for and, and, and so. And we've talked about gospel-centered and grace-driven and Christ-reigning and making disciples. And we're right there and in, in still in that fourth line, countercultural. go ahead, um, intergenerational family. Now, I've talked about how we are family two weeks ago. Last week, I talked about what it means that we are countercultural, not the culture of, our, of the world, the worldly culture of our city, but a heavenly culture of the gospel. We offer a counterculture right here into our city, and we do it together as a family. Um, but today I want to talk about something really important, and um, that I'm going to emphasize what it means that we are intergenerational. Um, a lot of churches, I think, have a big blind spot right here. Um, not every church, of course, thankfully, but there's something about the way uh, we Americans of all kinds of different races and ethnicities seem to like have a blind spot about thinking about church as multi-generations. Um, that, is not, that is not just kind of like, well, you know, people are older and younger. No. It's actually very important in the Bible. It's very important for the way God does a mission. Um, I think for some reason, um, I'll, I'll just get, there's a, a pastor his name is Bill Crispin. He's been really influential to me. Um, he was actually a mentor to, there's a famous pastor in New York, you know, Tim Keller. You guys may have heard about him. Um, he, he had a mentor named um, Bill Crispin. And um, I once heard Bill Crispin talk when I was in Philadelphia. And he, he used to say it this way. 
There'd be, the gospel would capture a bunch of young people, you know, maybe in their 20s, and then maybe in their 30s. And then they start a church to reach their peers because they know they're, 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 they're lost and they don't know Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit does something incredible, and then, then they grow older, then they get married, then they have kids, and that generation just goes older, and they, they win more and more of those people. And that church may get really big and win a lot of people. But then somehow... They only think about the church of how they, how they were reached when they were in their 20s and 30s, and they don't do that and think about what it's like for their kids. And then they get in their 40s, and they get in their 50s, and then they like the way they did church in their 40s and 50s, and then they don't want to change it. And then that church slowly dies. That's what he pointed out. And his point was, you know, if you really want your church to thrive, it can't really be about you and your age and your generation. You have to love the next generation. You actually have to cause yourself some, you have to sacrifice some of your comfort. <laughs> and you must invest and pour yourself out to younger people who don't, you don't entirely get. <laughs> they don't entirely get you, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, kids are like, they're, they're almost like a foreign nation. They use a weird lingo. <laughs> they listen to music. You're like, what is this music? <laughs> right? And um, yet, the Lord tremendously loves them. And this is how he does gospel mission. And I want to talk about that today. Right? Um, so let's get the, into this message. The intergenerational gospel mission. Three parts, as I well, almost always do. Part one, three generations of gospel movement. That's uh, what we have in today's passage. Three generations of gospel movement. Um, let me just say a little something about this. If a church wants to have sustained gospel movement, you have to have three generations. You have to target three generations. You've got to think three generations. Let me, all of you who have kids, you cannot just reach your kids. You know who you have to reach? You have to reach your grandkids. You know, then, then, you know you're like, hey, my kid is a four-year-old. Think about your grandchildren, <laughs> okay? That's how serious, if you think about church, don't think about just your group, your age group. Think about your four-year-old having kids <laughs> and their friends. <laughs> because if you don't reach their friends, you won't reach them. It's, it's, it's really not that complicated. If you don't reach their friends, you won't reach them. Right? So think about three generations. That's part one. Part two. Spiritual fathers and mothers seeing children and teenagers in a new way. I think almost every one of us in this room, we have to learn to look at kids differently. We have to learn to look at them the way God looks at them, the way the Bible teaches us to look at them, instead of the way the culture and our habits look at them. We have to cast off, remember we're countercultural. We have to counterculture against the habits of our society, and instead do it according to the Word of God, right? So spiritual fathers and mothers seeing teenagers, I want to say particularly emphasize teenagers in a new way. And then part three, father and son on mission together, right? That's something to do with the gospel. Really, really important. Father and son on mission together. Let's go. Part one, um, three generations of gospel. Let's, let's go into this passage uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 is the kind of stuff that most people don't pay attention to. If you've, if you've, uh, 
you know, I hope all of you have read these passages. Um, if you haven't, people don't tend to pay attention to those beginning words at the, at the beginning of a book. It seems just like introductory, blah, blah, blah. But actually, if you pay really atten close attention, you, you will learn really deep things about how things work in life. So, um, I, I, you know, I'll just skip. Paul, uh, first one, it just, verse 1 just says, Paul, apostle of Christ. And then he goes to verse 2. He's writing. So there are two letters written to this guy. His name is Timothy. Timothy is tremendously important in the Bible. There are two books written to a guy named Timothy. And it's not just that this particular person, Timothy, is important. Timothy represents the future of the gospel mission. The, Timothy represents the future of the church. And here's how um, Paul um, addresses Timothy. And Timothy is a pastor. He's a younger man mentored by Paul, and this is the way he writes to him. And he's writing, so these letters about uh, 1 and 2 Timothy are, is an older man, an oldest seasoned leader, a gospel leader, writing to a younger man whom he has mentored and loved and teaching him how do you lead church? How do you do gospel mission? Right? So verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. Not to Timothy, a really good pastor. Not Timothy, an elder of the church. Not to Timothy, do your job well, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. He's already thinking about what was in the past. <laughs> so the movement of God's faithfulness has been going on a long, long time. <laughs> right? I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. He calls him my child. He prays for this guy regularly, <laughs> night and day. Um, I'm not as good as that, <laughs> but um, that's how much he loves him. He thinks about him all the time. As I remember your tears, verse 4, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So just stop there. Why did Timothy cry? <laughs> so just, just some background here. Paul is probably writing this in prison. <laughs> and when Paul was locked up, I'm just guessing, probably, I mean, they would... They would split up. They would, they would serve and do mission together. They would go into one city, preach the gospel. They would start churches together. And then sometimes they would split up. And then bad things would happen. And like Paul, Paul would get beaten. And in this case, he, he would end up in prison. And then the young man whom he prays for night and day um, would, would weep. <laughs> would weep. I can imagine, I mean, it's just, you know, if, I mean, God forbid this happened. I mean, it can happen. And I, can, I, I know you, you can see it and feel this more and more, that um, something is about freedom of, of a religion and sharing the gospel in our country is in trouble. You can feel this. But so sometime in the, in the future, I can imagine that um, if I get thrown into jail, that my son, would, I hope he would come visit me, and he would cry, <laughs> right? And um, while I'm sitting in that jail, 
I'll be thinking about those tears. And then when I would say to him in a letter, I hope that I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Right? This is the relationship. Um, Timothy is not his biological son, but to him, he's a son. He says, he's as close to him as a son. He says, this is what the love is like. So as far as we know, Paul was single, right? That's the way Paul, you know, in the Bible, Paul doesn't talk. He talks about, I'm single, I don't know. So he never had any, his, own, his own biological children, but he did have spiritual children. And he loved them deeply. And we know the name of his best guy. It's, we, we will, it's in the other passage. So, so I'm, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded. Now, here's the verse I really want you to uh, pay attention to. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Here we go. Grandmother to the mother, and now to Timothy, right? For this reason, I re remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I'll just stop there. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about ordination. <laughs> I don't know if you, well, that's what we call it today. And I don't know if they called it that. Ordination is, is when they confer a gift of authority upon a young leader, sometimes not young, to lead the mission of the gospel. So, um, so when I became a pastor, I had to, you know, like there's, you know, it was at a different building. Um, it was actually out of a, well, you know, the, our previous version of this church, or out of the church that we're coming out of, New Hope. It wasn't called New Hope at the time. There was a church split, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, other men. Qualified men um, who lead, they would lay their, they laid their hands on me, <laughs> and they pray for me, and they said something like this: "Fan the gift. This is a gift from God, and now go out and do this great calling, right?" And um, you know, I wasn't the best pastor when I was younger, and at times I, I uh, I'm so not the best pastor. I'm just I do the best I can, right? Um, as a young, but this is what he's talking about. Um, to this day, when leaders are called forth to, you know, advance the gospel mission, hands are laid on them. It is a gift. This is what Paul is talking about. Remember this. I, it wasn't just some ceremony. It wasn't just because, you know, I have affection for you, though I, of course, do. Something of God was, you were called. We do this for elders. We do this for deacons, right? Um, in the Korean church, they will lay hands on, um, on, the, on, on the spiritual mothers. You know, there's a, there's a term in Korean called kwansanim, which is, they're effectively the spiritual mothers. And what are they saying? Um, we're calling on you to advance the gospel. And part of that call is across generations. Now, um, let me shift to the other, other passage. Um, let me ask my, our brother William to go to the Philippians passage. So there's all these little details in the Bible about um, Timothy. And I want to pick you, um, show you another one. Right? This is a Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. And so 
Paul is somewhere else. He's, in, he's probably in prison. And he's writing to the Philippian church, which is, by the way, one of the best churches. This is a sacrificial church filled with joy. And um, when Paul writes to the Galatian church, he is really angry, right? They are, they're really screwing things up. When he writes to the Corinthian church, it's kind of a mixture of great love, and he's really quite upset because they do some really dumb things. But to the Philippians church, oh, it's just such rejoicing and love. But this is what he says, right, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, not for his own welfare. For they all, you know, that is most people, most leaders, most people, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. We didn't just, um, you know, lay hands on him. I mean, he, he's proven. You know the kind of stuff he does. And when he is with you, he is always cares about Jesus. What is in the interest of Christ? That's what he's always about. Hmm? How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Hmm. How did gospel mission move forward? There was a Paul. He calls himself a father. And he had a young man whom he deeply loved. He invested him, and he calls him a son. And they did this thing together. That was a movement. There's a movement from an older man to a younger man, father to son. So um, so one more thing before I, I move on to part two of my message. Um, now, so we've been talking about how we're doing, we're, we're doing cross-cultural ministry. You know, this is a very multi-ethnic city. America is becoming very cross-cultural. And before, we, we talked about how we as a church, we are, um, we are a family. We are a family centered in Jesus and we cross generations and cultures. You know where we get this from? We get this from right here. Now, it doesn't say so right here, and I won't go into all the time, but did you know that um, Timothy is not, he's not entirely, this is, that from Paul going to Timothy, you know what? He didn't just invest in Timothy accidentally. Paul preached. There was an older woman named Lois, and she had a daughter named Eunice, and they believed and they were thick in the Bible. And they were both Jewish. Timothy's mom, Eunice, is Jewish, but his father was Greek. His father was Greek. So what you have is Paul, full-on Jew, knows the Bible inside out, fluent in Greek, not just in the language, but in the culture. And he... He, you know, it just it kind of makes sense. You have a young man, he's Jewish. You know, people tend to like, are connected to people, you know, of the same ethnicity. But he didn't, he wasn't, he was Jewish in ethnicity, but he spoke Greek. Let me just stop for a moment there. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that seem familiar to you? Um, there's a lot of you in this, in this room. You are ethnically Chinese or Filipino or, or, um, or Korean. That's your ethnicity. That's the blood that's in you. But what is the language that you speak? What is the language that you speak? What is the culture that you know? It's English. And part of the reason why you're in a church like this is because it's very helpful that if someone 
who's in an ethnicity that connect, you eat, can more easily connect to, right? You know, in my case, you know, I'm, I'm second generation Asian, but I'm not very Korean, right? I'm kind of Korean, <laughs> but I'm really pretty American. But, you know, I, you know, I have a really good-looking Korean face, right? <laughs> right? And, you know, so, like, that's, that's helpful, right? And Paul, this is, that's what's going on here. Paul who preached the gospel, a young man who's partly his ethnicity, but he says, you know what? I'm called to reach all the other ethnic folks out there who speak Greek. Do you know, to, you know today's Greek is? Greek isn't the language just of the Greeks, is a language of the world at this time. You understand that? And you understand that if you are fluent in English, it is not just the language of the Americans. It is increasingly the language of the world. It is an unbelievable advantage to speak English, especially speak fluent English. And it is an unbelievable advantage to understand American culture. And today, let me say something else to you. It is an unbelievable advantage if you are American and you don't have what people consider the American face, which is, you know, the white face, right? The Western European face. But you now have a foothold in one world and you can reach another world. Paul picked Timothy precisely for that reason. And he's looking for a man like that. Because Paul realized if this, if, okay, I'm, I can only be so good. Probably like a lot of the, the Greek-speaking people will see that I'm Jewish and they will just kind of turn off because I'm Jewish. They won't want to listen to me. But if I take another guy who's more Greek, even more Greek than me, he'll be even more effective than me. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. He's, he's not interested in his fame and glory and how great his church is. He's interested in advancing the gospel even bigger. So... He picked a guy, very, very promising. So promising that he always doesn't think about his own self-interest. He thinks about the interests of Jesus Christ. That's what he's always about. And he poured himself to him. And over time, Timothy probably became, Timothy probably <laughs> reached more people. I don't know if, you, if you've ever thought about this. Timothy probably reached more people and planted more churches than Paul. Because... He was more Greek than Jewish. Three generations, very important. So that's the way the Bible presents it. Now let me go to part two. Um, spiritual fathers and mothers. I, I just want to challenge you at the beginning. Almost everybody in this room, um, you probably don't look at children and teenagers the way God looks at them, right? Um, me too. I, I feel like for the last 10 years of my life, I, as a young man in ministry, you know, I didn't really like doing youth ministry because, because I'm an intellectual and I like talking about big things and like, you know, like 14-year-olds just like thinking about like cars and girls and, and like songs that I don't like. <laughs> You're like, I don't really like that music. Okay, this is annoying, right? That's kind of how I, I, I thought about teenagers. And, but, but I knew that they needed the gospel. So, you know, like when you're a young man, that's like, like one of the few jobs you can get. But it's not really the, the ministry I wanted to do. And so I often thought about um, youth ministry as like junior varsity ministry. Huh. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. In high school, who is the team that really represents your school? The junior varsity? Of course not. <laughs> the varsity football team 
They're your real team. Nobody cares how the junior varsity team does. They're like, you know, they're like just back there. <laughs> right? They're like, you know, hopefully they'll be good enough to make the varsity team someday. Right? And when I was younger, I, I, it's kind of how I tend to think about youth ministry. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of us, you know, if you grew up in a church, especially if you grew up in like an Asian church, Asians are very like age segregation oriented. There's like older people, younger people, and then like the younger people are just like, you know, they're not that important because Asians like to think, you know, just stay back there and be quiet, right? And if we can get the kids to stay quiet, that's like, you know, that's good enough for church because the really important stuff happens in the adults' room, right? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> not according to God. <laughs> And at a lot of churches, and this isn't just an Asian problem. I, I, I've been to churches that are predominantly, you know, you know, white. And I go there and I'm like, oh, they clearly don't really care about their children's ministry, do they? <laughs> you know? So for a lot of churches, children's ministry is like, um, you know, glorified babysitting. And if kids ask a question about God, I mean, let, 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 me, let me challenge you here. If your four-year-old asks a question about God, that is a really important conversation. If your three-year-old is curious about the Bible, that's a really important conversation. Don't you dare think, oh, you're, you're a little kid. That's cute. That's really cute. You, you, you have questions about God. It's not cute. It's supremely important. It's of eternal importance. And if they have a question about God, it's coming from God. It's coming from the image of God in their heart, and the Holy Spirit is in, in, you know, activating the image of God in their heart because they want to know, is there a God? I don't know any kid who's not three or four-year-old hasn't even thought about that question. What four-year-old hasn't thought about that question? What happens after we die? <laughs> right? What? It's like, is there a God? It's supremely important. Um... I'm going to tell you something, uh, about uh, two weeks ago, my wife and I went to a conference. And one of the speakers um, was a, a pastor that you, you all, many of you know that uh, I deeply admire. His name is Min Chung. He was our retreat speaker two years ago. And he was one of the speakers. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to the conference, so I can, you know, I can get my you know, Min Chung fix. <laughs> right? I was, uh, you know, he, he, he only like preached for 20 minutes. And I was like, what? It's like, where's the rest of the, where's the four, other 40 minutes? I came for an hour of Minchung, not no 20 minutes, right? And he, he had this little point in there um, that I want to share with you. He says that, um, you know, Minchung is so well-respected, especially by Asian and Korean, you know, pastors all around the country. And they call him up. Um, for those of you who know, he, he, he leads a, a big, massive church in, um, in Urbana-Champaign, um, Illinois. And it's, it's a, like half of his students are college students, or maybe more than half of his students are college students. Right, and um, and he is incredibly good. I mean, he is like, you know, this guy, you know, spiritual father raising up Timothys. Min Chung has raised up a lot of Timothys. <laughs> He's raised up a lot of Timothys. He's like Paul on steroids. <laughs> He's like Paul. Uh, this sounds almost crazy, blasphemous to say, but better. <laughs> How you like that? <laughs> right, and. Um, and so pastors call him around the country and say, hey, Pastor, Pastor, you know, Pastor Chang, could you send us, do you have a young man that could become our youth pastor? And he said this in front of like a room, you know, you know, at this conference. He said, what I always want to say to them, I don't say this, but I want to say this, 
is, you know what you should have done? Ten years ago, you should have loved and invested in some few young people in your youth group. And if you had done that, you wouldn't be calling me now. Because you'd have your youth pastor and you'd have a thriving youth ministry. If you just looked at your 14-year-old differently 10 years ago, right? And as soon as I heard Min Chung say that, I was like, that's why this guy, that's why this guy is Paul on steroids. Um, How do you look at your 14-year-olds? How do you look at um, the the young children in our church? You know, um, the... I've been friends with John Har, you know, one of our leaders, since we were in ninth grade. <laughs> John got saved like in tenth grade. Okay, so when I met him, he was a pagan, but then a year later he got saved. Okay, so um, you know, I was already saved, but he was he was he was, he was a little behind the curve. Okay, um, so uh, but so we've been friends since ninth grade, and and a few years ago we were on the phone, and he told me that his wife was pregnant. <laughs> and they already had like two older kids, and so I was like, I remember, I, I darn near fell out of my chair. <laughs> because I, I knew that was a big, well, sorry, sorry, Gina. It was an oops child, you know, unplanned. <laughs> I said, how did that happen? <laughs> and he said, I do not know. <laughs> that was his answer. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, Christopher is born. And Christopher is like John Jr. When I just look at him, I just see John. He looks just like John, right, to me, right? And, and you know when I see Christopher, like, you know, he's like, what, seven? Six, seven years old now? I just see a future godly leader. That's what I see. But 10 years ago, I didn't think like that. Right? It's like 10 years of repentance. I had to learn to think like this. When you see, you know, these little kids, you see Phoebe running around. She's cute, isn't she? She's really cute. (laughs) Do you see a future spiritual mother? You should. (laughs) You should. You should see an unbelievable warrior for God. If we do it right, that's what she'll be. (laughs) I love it. I love, like, when the babies are born (laughs) in our church, right? As soon as I hear the babies are born... I, I love visiting all the babies in the hospital because you know what I'm thinking about? Second Timothy chapter one. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm thinking about. I look at this kid and going, are you going to be a Timothy? Are you going to be a Lois? Are you going to be a Eunice? Yes. By promise. By faith. I want to tell you a story. Um, long before I knew how to do this, God was doing it. So um, a number of you know that um, this English-speaking congregation out of this church was started back in 1996. Back in 1996, I was 25 years old, and they took a guy who really had no idea how to do ministry, and they made him, I mean, I wasn't ordained at that time, so I was the first, you know, pastoral intern to lead that congregation. So I was 25 and then, you know, two years later, I got ordained. The next year, I got married. Next year, I got ordained, right? So I was ordained at the age of 27. They laid hands on me at the age of 27. Still didn't know, I didn't, still didn't know what I was doing. Um, in my first year, 
this congregation was a lot smaller and a lot younger. It's a lot younger. And, um, and a young man came into the church, and um, he was Chinese. He was ethnically Chinese, um, but he was from Vietnam. So I think he was born in Vietnam, and uh, this, so this is uh, the way, what it was like back, you know, in the 80s. You know, Vietnam was a war-torn country, and America opened up its doors for certain um, refugees. And Alan, you know, his family was not Christian. Alan's family, his name was Alan Ha. If you met Alan, uh, if I was smarter, I, sh I should have dug a picture of Alan. You guys could see him. Right? I mean, he could see his beautiful face. Alan was a short guy. He was about five foot four, right? Alan, uh, you know, had a, little, had a little bit of a pudgy face, but that don't let that, he was really athletic. <laughs> right? He was really athletic. He actually got uh, a halftime baseball scholarship at Arizona State, okay? So if you met him, you wouldn't know that he was a baseball stud. <laughs> and since he's like five foot four, he's the kind of person that nobody ever, you know, everybody just overlooks in a room. Alan came into the church, and I don't know why, because I wasn't a particularly good preacher back then. Um, something about the way I preached the gospel, it lit Alan up. <laughs> right? Now, Alan was already a Christian. You know how he became a Christian? His family moved from Vietnam to San Jose, because a church in San Jose, um, they, they volunteered to host refugee families. So it was, you know, it was a white family at a Baptist church um, off of uh, Saratoga Avenue. It was like Saratoga and Prospect. You guys know where that is, right? Um, that church today is called Westgate. It's a big mega church. But back then, it was called something, something Community Baptist Church. And it wasn't a mega church. It was a small church, right? relatively small church, very humble church. And this white family took in Alan's family to help them you know, um, help them to um, adjust to America. And that family were Christians, and the mother of that family, the major of that family, shared the gospel. His parents did not become Christians. They went to church for a while, but then over time they were like, yeah, this is whatever. You know, like, Jesus, that's nice, but, you know, we got to make money, right? But the children, his sister, and he became Christians. <laughs> and I, I wish I could remember the woman's name. I wish I could remember the woman's name. Um, she, he, Alan called her his godmother. She was his spiritual mother, right? I kind of consider her Alan's Lois, <laughs> right? Lois was Alan, for, you know, for if Alan was, is a Timothy, and Alan is a Timothy, <laughs> Lois, she was his grandmother. <laughs> and then, I got to be his father. <laughs> so I'm a 24-year-old man pouring myself into an 18-year-old college student. He went to De Anza. His family was poor. So his father, it's actually really sad. His father didn't want to pay for the other half of the tuition. It was only a half scholarship for Arizona State. So his father didn't want to pay for the other half of the tuition to, so he could pay baseball at, at Arizona State. So he went to De Anza, and I got out. Or let's put it this way, our church got out. And Alan wanted to serve the Lord because he had like powerful spiritual energy, right? 
And one of the obvious ways to serve the Lord was in our youth ministry. So then he went under Young. Young was our youth pastor. Right? So he goes under Young. And then, you know, within that, you get choices of, like, which classes you want to um, invest into. Alan chose the sixth grade class. He chose sixth grade boys. I think there were, like, four guys. So here's Alan. He's, like, 18, 19 years old. And he invested into, like, four guys. And um, he didn't just teach them on Sundays. <laughs> he would go pick them up on Friday afternoons <laughs> and, like, feed him like french fries, <laughs> feed him french fries, and they'd go to his place and play video games and throw the ball around, and they would talk about, you know, girls or, like, Jesus. In other words, they didn't just get a teacher, they got a brother. And what they didn't know was they were starting to get a father. And on one of those four boys, you know him. His name is Frank. His name is Frank. And if you ask Frank why he never left our church, and if you ask Frank how he ended up becoming a pastor, why he loves and why he loves the kids the way he loves them, is because he knows what it's like to have been loved when he was in sixth grade by a young Chinese-Vietnamese man named Alan. See how this works? Alan had his spiritual godmother, and then he had a very, very incompetent spiritual father in me, and then he had a wonderful trainer in Young, and then he became a spiritual father to Frank. And when I came back to this church, our youth group, let me tell you something, our youth group was in shambles. I heard a story that the year before I came to the church that some kid was offering drugs at our youth retreat to the other kids. It was a scandal. It's like, that kid offered drugs to the other kid at the youth retreat. I was just like, oh, gosh. And I knew that what was beautiful that was happening when Young was the youth pastor, when I had kind of like died. And we needed a new youth pastor. And guess what? We already had him. Because exactly what Min Chung said, I didn't know it, but God gave it to us through Alan. See this movement? See how this works? Alan wasn't a preacher. Alan didn't know the Bible very well. right? Alan was like an 18, 19-year-old kid. But he had a huge heart. And he loved, and when he looked at teenage boy, less younger than teenage boys, sixth graders, pimply faced sixth graders, right? He did not look down on them. <laughs> he loved them. He said, loving them in Christ, for Christ, is worthy of my time. <laughs> and look at the fruit. It's a I'm getting kind of emotional because um, when Alan, Alan graduated, he transferred from De Anza, and then he went to San Jose State. And, um, and after he graduated from San Jose State, for those of you who don't know, it, uh, there's a few of you who know, after he graduated from San Jose State, he dedicated a year of his life to missions. So he was going to spend six months training with youth, youth with a mission. Is that what's called YWAM, right? 
and he's going to train at Hawaii, their, their, their headquarters in Hawaii, their, their training sites in Hawaii. He's going to spend six months there, and then he's going to spend six months in China um, doing mission. And um, while he was in Hawaii, Alan um, drowned. You know, he, he, tragic, he tragically passed away in a drowning incident. It was one of the most painful things. I was living in Philadelphia, and when I heard this news from my brother, I just you know, fell down, broke apart. And um, so, um, but the gift of Alan as a spiritual father keeps giving. <laughs> it just keeps giving. So when I came back to the church, I was worried. So when I heard that our youth group was terrible, I was going like, oh, great. My kids are going to be in that youth group really soon. You know, my, my son was in third grade. So I was thinking like, okay, three years to fix the youth group or my kid is screwed. <laughs> Not like other kids screwed. My own son is like in, is in trouble. You know, um, you know, a year later, we got Frank after he came back from Thailand. And... Um, and um, and because, I don't know, I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I gave enough Jesus to Alan, and Alan gave Jesus to Frank, and my own kids. I never have to, I never have to drag them to church. You know, I've never had to tell them to go to church. You know, they choose church. They always choose church. They got a big test on Thursday, they go to Bible study on Wednesday. I don't make them. I never have to make them. When, when Frank goes, hey, let's go do bishop, and we're going to go to the um, Paiute Reservation, my kids all love that, that mission. I never have to make them. When, when Frank goes, hey, let's go you know, give out care packages to homeless people you know, in, in downtown San Jose, I don't have to make my kids go. My kids go, and then they invite their friends. And then their friends do it. So when I look at Ellen, I was walking down the hallway today. Ellen was playing drums. I had no idea she could play drums. There she is. <laughs> Ellen walking away on the drums. I was like, Ellen's on the praise team. I didn't know she could do that. <laughs> um, you know, we're going to have this meeting today called this launch team. Do you know that the, the members of our team for Revive to Launch Revive, they're not all in this room. They're, some of them are sitting over there, and some of them are sitting in the children's ministry. Um, we, I want to urge you, you know, join the launch team. And then when you think about, I, I'm going to do welcoming, for instance. Let's say, I'm going to do welcoming. Think about recruiting your 16-year-old and your 14-year-olds onto the launch team. And don't use the kids. Make them the partners, because this is how we do it. You know, like, you know, this is what Frank does this, when, when we go off to the, when we go to the Native American missions at Bishop, this is what Frank does. When we go out to Bishop, we don't have, like, old people over here, young people. It's kind of like that to certain ministries, because it's somewhat aged, but there's a lot of ministries where the older leader and then the younger man, they just walk side by side. The spiritual father and the spiritual sons, the spiritual mothers and the spiritual daughters, they serve in the mission right next to each other. And would you join the launch team and consider doing that? 
And then like five years from now, that, that young person that you're, you're investing in, they'll run the ministry, probably better than you, huh? more fruitfully than you. And they'll be reaching a lot of young people that since you're not cool anymore, since because you're not, I'm sorry to tell you, you're not that cool, right? <laughs> At least not to a, not to a 16-year-old. Huh? They will reach the young people because they're a lot cooler than us. Huh? This is how it does it. I want to close, I want to close this um, message let me ask my brother to put up uh, Philippians 2, verse 22. Philippians 2, verse 22. Um, I want to leave you with these words, okay? Philippians 2. Got it, William? Oh, there we go. Great. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Now listen to these next words. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Just think about, when you think about those words, as a son with a father, he has served in something called the gospel. That sounds like, does that sound like a pastor and his younger, you know, and, and, and the young man, or like, is that just, is that all, when you see that, does that sound really kind of something like something very, very familiar? You know, we have a God. And that God, he doesn't call himself just God. You know, God is his title. You know what his name is? Father. And you know how he does mission and redemption and the healing, healing of all human hearts? He does it with his son. A father and a son filled with the Holy Spirit because that's what Paul and Timothy are. They have love. They have unbelievable love. You know, you want to know, if you go like, I, I can't influence younger people. <laughs> like, I can't invest. Let me tell you, so you don't have to have lots of Bible knowledge. You only have to have two things. You have to have faith in Jesus. <laughs> and then you have to have his love. Those are the only two things you've got to have. If you have faith in Jesus, you have the gospel. And you have his love, you have everything you need to pour yourself into a younger person. And when they hear from you, they'll start looking at you, and they'll, they just won't see some, some uncool old person. You know what they're going to start thinking? They're going to be thinking like, this person has something in Christ, and I am interested in Jesus. And this person loves me, and this person loves Jesus, and you know what? I want to do this with them. That's all it takes. That's all Alan had. It was more than enough. Because you know, because Alan, when Alan would play video games with Frank, <laughs> he did it in love and in faith. And so the Holy Spirit is poured out, is being poured out. Frank, and you can just imagine Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Alan playing video games with a sixth grade Frank, and then after they stop playing video games, they talk about Jesus or something while they're like eating like junk food that they bought at McDonald's, right? But inside, in that interaction, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what the gospel is? That's all the gospel is. There's a father whose love is poured out in his son. And father and son go into the world 
filled with the Spirit. And they sacrificially love people who don't seem like they're worth loving. They don't have much worth. In fact, we all deserve to go to hell because we're so wretched and we're so selfish and we're so sinful. But Father and Son together go to love them and bless them. It's called the gospel. Would you go become a spiritual mother or a father with Alan, like Alan, have love and faith. And if you have love and faith, guess what? You have the Holy Spirit. And when you go invest in a younger person, something like the beautiful, the beautiful power of the Holy Trinity, it will be happening. You'll be acting like a mother or a father, pouring yourself into a son or a daughter. And you'll say, together in the Holy Spirit, Let's go make a difference. And maybe when you're gone, hopefully you won't pass away as soon as Alan did, there will be power and fruit and unbelievable things happening in your spiritual sons and grandsons (laughs) and great-grandchildren through Jesus. Let's go to the table of the Lord. Dear Jesus, we come to church. We come often as um, religious consumers. And we come with very um, eyes that are influenced by our culture, not by heavenly culture. Influenced by our wisdom, not your infallible, most unbelievable wisdom. The perfect ways of the Father. I pray that um, we would repent of looking down upon children and youth. I pray that we would think, hey, spending time with these younger people, even though sometimes they're immature, they don't seem to know much, if I would do it in Christ, for Christ, with my Father, pouring out the Holy Spirit, unbelievable, amazing things will happen. It'll happen in our church. It'll happen in our city. Maybe in a long time, even after I'm gone. As we go to your table, Lord, give us repentance and give us gladness. We're going to eat from the bread, which represents the family of God, the body of Christ. Would your blood wash away all our pride and all our blindness? And would the body, the bread, the family of God, fill us with God's ways, God's power, the Trinitarian movement of the gospel. In Jesus' name.